This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome back to Dollars and Change. If you're like me, it's hard not to sing along to these intro <laughs> songs from our sound engineer, Danielle I'll Bruno. Ju- I'll dance. I won't <laughs> sing. Uh, we are here every Thursday morning talking to you about the intersection of business and social impact. It's always fun for us. We hope it's fun for you and that you uh, take a few things away to think about throughout your week. We are heading into our Dollars and Change show today. Uh, talking to Katie Kaufman. Katie is the Managing Director for Global Women's Issues at OPIC. Think about what the world's fastest growing emerging market is. You might have guessed India or China, uh, but it is indeed not a country or a region. The world's fastest growing emerging market is women. Here to tell us more, Katie Kaufman. Katie, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Good. Katie, quantify this for us. The world's fastest emerging market. Put a few statistics around the power of this half of the population in our economy. Thank you so much. Yeah, so actually 51%. um, Yeah, larger than the economies of India and China combined. Mm. Um, Women around the world are not only driving their economies, both informal and formal, but they're also driving their families and their communities. Mm-hmm. When women invest, I'm sorry, when women earn a competitive income, they reinvest 90% of that back into their families. Can I just pause you? So I've heard the statistics. I cannot find the source of data for the, you know, just as hard as I try. So women invest 90% back into their families and local yeah. economies. In emerging markets, In yeah. emerging markets. Excellent. Okay. I mean, that's very, very powerful stuff. Do you know what it is with men? I'm assuming it's different since we highlight the... It is. It's 30%. What? <laughs> that is a humongous delta. Where this does is... the other money go that the men it's are spending? staggering. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times... Is it just... Uh, yeah. To the local watering hole. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say fantasy football, but then I thought I was being snarky and tongue-in-cheek. Um, so these are huge numbers about the power of women in our economy. Um, I also saw, um, you know, closing the gender gap. We've heard numbers around $12 trillion added to GDP um, by closing the gender gap in our economy. So whether or not you think investing in, supporting, believing in, advancing women is the right thing to do, which we hope you do, listeners, it is hard to hear these numbers and argue that it is not a smart thing to do and a necessary thing to pay attention to. Can I throw one more statistic at you? Please. Of course. You could, well, yes. That $12 trillion one is quite compelling. But when you look at actual gender parity, it's $28 trillion. Holy cow. So what McKinsey did was look at what actual parity would be was the $28 trillion figure. And then they said, well, you know, actual parity is not realistic. Let's look at what if countries could just live up to the best example in their region. And that's where we got the $12 trillion oh, figure. Right. Yeah. Sometimes people push me on these numbers and they'll be like, they're really trying to split hair. So I go, okay, so if it's even half right, right. <laughs> this is still trillions yes. and trillions and these of are, dollars. I mean, and these are predictions of the future and they're based on a lot of assumptions, yeah. but it is, it is clear. So, so Katie, tell us uh, about your role within OPEC. OPEC is, uh, the, is a development finance institution. It's how the United States invests in private uh, in private markets in, in uh, around the world. Um, and you have so well, you, you know, correct me and correct uh, and, and for our listeners who don't don't know the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, correct that, and then tell us about 
how you know the creation of this uh, the two X Women's Initiative. So, as you mentioned, we um, we invest in the private sector in emerging markets, and we do that to support private sector growth because the private sector creates nine out of ten jobs in emerging markets. So our mission is to improve people's lives in the places where we invest, and we do that by creating the dignity of work, supporting private sector growth, um, and hopefully stabilizing economies. Um, Of course, we have been around since 1971, and since that time, we had never had an explicit call-out for the importance of empowering women through our work. And going back to those earlier statistics, when we look at spurring economic growth and fostering global stability – and we know that women are reinvesting in their families and they're also um, driving economies, we can quite clearly see that an efficient way for doing both of those is to empower women. So about a year ago, we launched um, something we call 2X. Um, We very clearly and intentionally branded it as 2X. Uh, We did that to a slight nod to the female chromosome, um, but to reflect that multiplier effect of investing in women. And then um, quite honestly, just to make it easier for people. Um, it's sometimes difficult to say gender, women, women's economic empowerment, and uh, 2X is something really easy to say, and it captures that value. It's even easy for Republican men to say. So, <laughs> so we're really proud of that uh, brand. Uh, and, and, and to be clear, when they say, what is 2X, what do you, t- what do you, what do you tell the folks? Um, so this is actually an interesting story. Initially, when people asked me what 2X is, I said it's a billion-dollar commitment to women in emerging markets. And by that, I meant that we were actually going to count women. We were going to count how many women-owned and women-led businesses we could invest in, and we were going to keep doing that until we invested a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, over time, that has evolved. So we when we launched 2X and then we defined what it would mean to invest in women, we defined that as a women-owned, a woman-led, or a woman-supporting enterprise. And by women-supporting, I mean access to clean water. As you know, women, um, the burden of finding the water that the family needs to survive falls on the woman. Sure. Clean cook stoves Um, for air quality in the home, things like this. Exactly. So outsized impact uh, on women and intentionality in that regard. And... um, just very quickly, we've, we looked back at the previous year's investments, so 137 uh, projects that OPIC underwrote in 2017. Of those 137 projects, any idea how many would have met our criteria? 27. Four. Ooh. Holy yeah, so cow. We had no so this is but up. women owned. Yeah. Women so, first in impact. Four of 137. Yeah, it's hard to think of that many businesses in emerging markets that wouldn't have a predominant impact on women. Well, so to be fair, that look back did not include the intentional call out of women supporting. We did Mm. do a lot of microfinance deals. This was more about counting the women owned and women led enterprises. Yeah. Um, So, so the point is that that counting is actually really important. It's important to know. Um, that we are really not doing Mm -hmm. a good job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And we we give you props for owning that and sharing that and challenging yourselves to, you know, the next level. Because if OPIC wasn't, you know, you guys have a a thoughtful and a very long tenured perspective on these issues. And um, if without an intentionality, it was landing at four of 137, uh, it does show how one needs to make effort uh, to, you know, to accomplish these aims. How have the numbers changed? So that is the um, the story of optimism. Um, we have uh, just 
on this Tuesday, we're hosting the year anniversary of launching 2X, where we will announce that we have underwrote $1.4 billion of investments to women-owned, women-led, and women-supporting businesses in emerging markets. So fantastic. Happy birthday. Story. Thank you so much. Um, but re- more, maybe more importantly, certainly something I'm more passionate about is how we've evolved from what is 2X, going from accounting story to evaluating story. Um, we now have uh, adopted a gender lens. We're fully seeped in the gender lens investing field. Um, we believe that every investment that we make should call out gender as material and as part of our due diligence process um, as you know, financial analysts, we're incorporating a gender analysis into that work to get to a better decision. And so, I just want to, um, you know, for our listeners who are going to go, um, yeah, I'm not a finance person, what exactly does that mean? It basically means that when you're choosing to decide what to invest in, you're looking at um, a number of traditional factors, you know, how big is the market? And, you know, how is this product against its competitors? And how has this company performed historically? But that you're also when you when you say you're using a gender lens, you are explicitly considering gender. And that can be it can take a number of forms and a different questions. But that that is not an optional part of your investment process. That is definitely something that you review and consider and factor into your decision making process. Can I give you just two quick examples oh, that'd be of great. the risk and the opportunity side of that? Um, so one of our largest sectors is financial services. So when we're now underwriting with a financial, commercial financial institution in a market and we are asking them, um, tell us about your clients, um, the next question will be how many of your clients are female, a question we wouldn't have asked in the past. There you mm-hmm. go. And if that financial institution says none, Oh, I'm sorry, not none, but we don't know or we don't track that. That is an underwriting risk for us. We want you to know who your clients are. If the financial institution says anything less than 30%, women make up 30% of SMEs in emerging markets, and they make up a fraction of the total credit market um, for all kinds of reasons, lack of collateral, um, unconscious bias in these financial institutions. But if you're less than 30% of female borrowers, you're missing an opportunity. So we want to help you take advantage of that opportunity. We want to help you grow. This is good for business. So that's one example of where just by asking gender questions, uh, we can identify opportunities and push our investees to be um, to have better performance. On the risk side, um, if we're underwriting an agriculture project, and we are now asking questions like, um, so tell us about your workforce. And again, this is not a shaming. This is about really conversations in a financial analysis. So we really need to know. Tell us about your workforce. Okay, all of your base employees are female and all of your management is men. Yeah. Not only are you not retaining the best talent, are you not getting the best talent up at the top and you're not getting a diversified um, opinions, you're also presenting a power dynamic that is a risk proposition for us as investors because the instance of gender-based violence and other occurrences in that situation, we don't want to take that risk. It's not good for business. Um, so we're asking those types of questions too. That's great. And I will, I will throw in the, you know, that we know from research and uh, some of the, the work we've done taking a hard look at the research on sexual harassment and gender-based violence is that you know, when you it, 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 literally the uh, a, a, one of the two strongest predictors is the percentage of men uh, in the occupation, the percentage of men in management. So in those male-dominated situations, it, it, it is a risk for sexual harassment and gender-based violence. Um, Katie, I wanted to ask you two questions. 
Um, you had this powerful statistic of that uh, in 2017, four of 137 of your projects uh, would, would have met the criteria to be women-owned and women-led. What are you up to now? Because you, you gave us the, uh, the $1.4 billion uh, statistic, which is super impressive. But let's keep the, 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 uh, the metrics consistent over time here. What, what's the number of proje- you know, uh, projects? Um, you know, I'm embarrassed to say I don't know the exact number. It's it's well over 30. I think I think it's 47. Uh, as an anecdote, um, at a last board meeting, we had four qualifying projects at one board meeting. Um, so, just just at one board meeting. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And and um, I was talking to some of the transaction officers about how we've been able to do this. And and you know, a lot, when we presented our transaction teams with this 2x initiative a lot of folks were like uh it's not it's not our fault you know the pipeline the women yes. aren't there and you know what we've learned is actually it's a bias problem the women are there we're 51% of the population we're 30% of SMEs and if we're digging this out and are intentional about it and calling it out, our transaction officers are some of the most talented people and underwriters in the country. So they're bringing projects to our board that they know um, meet our priorities, and that happens to be women. So um, you can do it. Katie, I'm, I'm fascinated by the, this change in OPEC. I mean, this is a, uh, you know, quite, a, quite a sea change, quite a change in, in mindset and policy. Um, and you know, and, and you know, you said this. This this isn't necessarily what we would expect from a, a you know in the Trump administration. We, this isn't necessarily what we would expect from male dominated uh, industry like finance. Um, uh, you know, and, and and OPEC. How has this happened? What are lessons for 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 others about you know uh, this is this is remarkable? How do you create um, such a sea change? You others, how does that occur? So I think absolutely credit needs to be given to our CEO, um, Ray Washburn. I was his first hire um, when he asked me to speak to him about coming on board. I had full intentions of telling him I wasn't going to leave the private sector. And he was so compelling about how important this was for the world. And to him personally, you know, he said, we will not approve a deal under my leadership without your signing off on it. Um, That top-down commitment is absolutely essential. I would be remiss if I didn't absolutely recognize the generations of women that have been working on this um, for a lot longer, certainly than I have, certainly before I was born, and um, were standing on their shoulders. And, you know, the Me Too movement, Mm -hmm. I think uh, there's just so many factors that have come together, and we have this data now. I mean, okay, all that McKinsey numbers on GDP growth, and then you have Boston Consulting Group has come out with a report that said for every dollar invested in a female-owned company, she'll generate 78 cents of revenue, and by contrast, a male will generate 40 cents of revenue. I mean, these are numbers that you can't ignore as investors. Right. Um, So I think it's a confluence of all of those things, um, and I just feel completely blessed every day to drive into my office and know that my end client is a woman in, um, you know, the rural hills of Guatemala. Uh, It's it's a really powerful space to be in right now. and there's a lot of people that have made that possible. That's awesome. Catherine and I feel the same way about going to work. It's, and it's a, it's a good feeling and, uh, and not something we take for granted. So um, I want to talk a little bit with you, Katie, about how you're tracking the, the results or what you're looking at. So we, we're talking about 
you know, volume of capital that's being, um, you know, uh, invested in women-led or women-focused you know, focused companies. How do you know whether it's the 47 you've invested in this year or the four from last year? How do you know what impact they're making? So that's an amazing question and something that we're trying to get better at. We have an Office of Investment Policy that monitors all of our investments and um, we have, you know, we're an agency that is required to be transparent and hold ourselves accountable. Um, so we have what we call self-monitoring questionnaires that we all of our clients have to fill out. We have changed those questionnaires um, to ask gender-specific questions. Um, and we're tracking that. And, and these are mandatory, a part of the investment process for them? Yes, yes. Cool. Um, so we'll, we're getting new data, and we'll be tracking it closely. Um, what I'm pushing for is um, much stronger feedback loop. So, for example, we've been doing microfinance for a long time. We've, we have over a billion dollars of exposure in microfinance. And what we know about that is that women are more than a billion dollars in debt. Um, and we need to get better at understanding the impact of these investments on the quality of life. And so we're looking at things like lean data, um, and uh, that is an approach that actually goes into the household and finds out what lifestyle changes have happened since the, that dollar has been invested. Um, so we're absolutely committed to understanding the impact. Unfortunately, we're not quite there yet. We are just a year into this process, um, so we'll be looking forward to sharing that in the future. Excellent. Well, it sounds like you're taking a thoughtful approach to it. Um, for our listeners who perhaps work in, you know, in the nonprofit space and, um, you know, impact areas focused on women, for listeners who might want to consider uh, impact investing with a gender lens, what advice would you have about, um, you know, the state of the field and, you know, lessons learned from your vast experience of, you know, looking at all these ventures? The number one advice is that I, I think if you care about impact, you have to care about gender. Um, if you look at the sustainable development goals, which have changed just a bit over time, the number one thing that's changed over time is the uh, elevation of gender throughout. So if you want to impact um, environment, it, the, an efficient thing to do is make sure that you're including gender in that work. Um, so applying the gender lens, I think, is one of the critical pieces of any impact investing um, when you're looking for strong results. I would also say that you want to be careful of what some folks call pinkwashing. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, there's examples of folks saying that they're doing gender lens investing because they've added a woman to their board. Yes. Well, adding a woman to a board is not changing the world. Or here's um, a sneaky one. There are a number of impact of gender lens investing funds that, you know, consider the number of women mm. on a board. They don't commit to doing anything about it or selecting, you know, companies or funds with more than a certain amount, but they consider it just the fact that they look is their gender lens investing. And hey, you know, who are we to judge? But it's worth really knowing what that word means. So to get to that pinkwashing point to not be uh, be fooled by the marketing. I'll be happy to judge. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But what, what, what we did to, for our criteria um, is uh, we, cr we created this women-owned, women-led, women-supporting criteria. And then we went to our G7 counterparts. Um, so every G7 nation has a complementary 
OPIC. Mm-hmm. And we asked them, um, I don't know if you two remember the um, ice bucket challenge. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Um, so we, we asked our G7 colleagues to take the 2X challenge. Um, and that really moved away from being an OPIC-driven thing to being a collective uh, movement by the G7. So certainly I would not claim that the U.S. um, in any way owns this 2X brand. It's now a global brand which has been adopted by our G7 counterparts. And the 2X challenge is a $3 billion commitment to invest against a defined criteria, which we spent seven months negotiating and coming to agreement on. And And what is it? Yeah. It's evidence-based. We hired Dahlberg advisors Mm -hmm. to help do um, a state of the field um, so that in every instance we could be what we call nudging. So we invest with the private sector. We want our private, it's our private, the private sector is what's going to move this, you know, and we want them to be moving in the right direction with us. So it's women owned. So 51% women owned, women led. And in that instance, we've broken it down by sector because in the education sector, if you have 30% women leadership, you're not really moving the needle. If you're in the infrastructure space, you're way well above your, average exactly yeah. so it's really about pushing people to get um to the best standards in their field and then um, women supporting again it's that same standard on um access to clean water access to clean uh energy um, those types of things um but back to the most important piece of this are we holding ourselves accountable and are we being transparent we have a website called 2xchallenge.org Every G7 member, when we qualify a project for the 2X Challenge, it will go on our website. Oh, great. We will do a little case study about it. Um, yeah. So uh, I hope that answered your yeah, question. Yeah, it, it certainly it does. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in. If, I, if, if uh, You'll cut me off, Sandy, if we don't have time because I know we're running. But I'm so impressed and interested in, uh, in what you're doing and the focus on emerging markets. What are we doing in the United States about this? It's not like you know. It's not like we don't have the the gender challenge here in our own businesses. In That's thirty question. seconds or less, Katie. <laughs> so when we pitched two X to our board, I presented it, and the board responded with um, claps and excitement. And it was an all male board with one woman rolling off sixteen persons. So you know that didn't sit well. We're pushing companies in Guatemala to have 30% female board representation. Um, so what we're doing at OPIC is getting EDGE certified. If you're not familiar sure. with that, yeah. it's like, okay, great. Um, and we think that all of our clients should be EDGE certified. It's the easiest way to put your money where your mouth is. Um, United States is not doing enough. Um, I just went to, I spoke on a panel with a McKinsey partner yesterday at Council on Foreign Relations who presented the state of play in the United States in the Fortune 500s, and it will bring tears to your eyes. So we have a long way to go. Yeah, we certainly do. Well, Katie, thanks so much for being with us today to talk about that state of the field um, and to give us a moment of optimism because um, there's some tough stuff there. But we believe that with people like you and our other guests doing the work you're doing, we're going to move the needles in the right direction. Thank you all so much for joining us. As always, if you have a question about something you heard or you would like to suggest something for a future episode, email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. And you can also tweet us at BizRadio132. I am Sandy Hunt here with Catherine Klein, and you've been listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, SiriusXM, Channel 132. Thanks so much. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.